Alma says my parents were a pair of fools. Runaways who bartered the promise of my mother's womb to a witch to escape a kingdom that would sooner see them dead than in love. The witch spun a cloak that would hide them from all eyes except for those of the gods, and my parents sailed away from their homeland with only the stars as witness. Lightning Recap in Fools by Gina Chen. A young woman with no heart has to decide what love is. You've got a little time. We've got a little podcast. Yes, we do. Oh, yeah. Um, This is George. <laughs> podcast i am chris here today with christy baxter and christy Mm -hmm. i'm reminded of a quote by william aloysius shakespeare which goes what book did we read this last week well um we read zero books but we did read a uh short story called fools by gina chen and uh, that was on foreshadowya.com. Yes, and this is one of those YA stories that, unless you had told me it was YA, I wouldn't have considered it YA. Uh, that is what the state of the market is today. See, I don't know. I've been steeped in YA, and I immediately recognize this for YA. <laughs> <laughs> um, almost all 10 of the novels that I have written and that have not been published were YA. Um, I spent much of the 2010s reading YA mostly, not exclusively, but mostly. Uh, so yeah, like I, I, as soon as I, like the very beginning with the, the sort of the fairy tale aspect that didn't immediately grab me as YA, although it did grab me as a reader. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I never saw my parents again. Well, if that isn't a YA line, I don't know what is. Yeah, and I sort of, I really started encountering YA one as a child when I was a younger adult, um, like 41, 42. But uh, a lot of folks who I, you know, admire as writers write a lot of YA. Gail Carriger, of course, Cat uh, Valenti, uh, two friends, by the way, I should note. Um, and... This one, when I read it, it is, it definitely does have the markers of not only YA, but as much YA also has markers of uh, Bollywood films. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I never saw my parents again. There's a grandmother who is both kindly and wise and strange. Uh, so much fun. <laughs> but uh, to me, the first thing that stands out out in this piece is the absolute beautifully crafted sentences. This is a sentence writer for without question. Uh, and even just fairly early on, there are places for girls like me, the remnants of someone else's story. And in this corner of the world, that place is Amma's Island. Booyakacha. I mean, that's just glorious. The, and I think I think there's even a little bit more to it. I think it's not even necessarily that she's a sentence writer. I think she's a lyrical writer. 
And that oh. comes across in sentences because that's just the, the necessary, that's just the structure that it takes. And that's, that's how you notice it. Like, oh, what a beautiful sentence, you know? Fair point. You may have something there. You might be correct. <laughs> I do love being correct. <clears throat> and as the story goes on, this is basically a story of... Uh, what's the best way to put it? It's it's a story of leaving because of something you never thought would or should happen. Yeah, definitely. And and unexpected. There's that unexpected arrival, you know, the someone comes to town of it all. Um, but it's more than that for for our main character here because she doesn't have a heart so she doesn't even think that she can fall in love so it's not just that she thought she'd never leave it's that she never even thought that she could have that that really seminal human experience um and so that to me i i think is is the deepens the unexpectedness of it that it's not just oh she never thought she could leave and now she's leaving there's there's so much more to it than that mm -hmm. absolutely and the part of that that i think that really uh, instills itself in is when she very early on says uh, uh, but my pallor never changed and the hollow in my chest never filled and that is of course we're getting the physical manifestations that of course we tie into the emotional idea you know she is pale and she has no heart so she cannot love but then as and you know there are notes about you know when she's uh, a bit of a spoil sport, but she's their spoil sport. <laughs> yeah. All of these feed into this idea of the physical and the psychological or the emotional or the whatever feeding onto each other. And basically, she's Richard III. <laughs> Interesting comparison. Interesting. Um, I like it, actually. I wish I'd have thought of it myself. <laughs> yeah, both of them are. Uh are found under car parks and, uh, <laughs> as this story goes on we are introduced to a daemon of course and diamond diamond maybe diamond demon. diamond it's d-i-m-e-n for any readers who didn't note the spelling yeah and it's interesting that this is a sort of a classic trope in mythology so this is a trope that goes all the way back <laughs> oh this yeah idea, yeah the idea not only of a demon but of a half demon of a yeah, this, this... Hmm? go ahead oh fair um of a demon who is still has the qualities of demonhood godhood whatever but is born of human and you know, how many Greek characters can we think of like that? Oh, how many of them were Zeus's children for crying out loud? Um, the, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's that's where that whole thing even started with with all of Zeus and his his running around and knocking everybody up, whether they wanted it or not. Um, so, yeah, it's it's it definitely is a trope. And I want to clarify that when we say a trope, we're not. I think some people can take that derogatorily, derogatively, whatever. Um, 
We don't mean it like that. I don't think we just mean here is a recognizable thing that you see that is sort of uh, a standard thing in this kind of fiction for a reason, because people who read this kind of fiction like it. We like the hybrid, you know, of is both human and has this sort of wild otherworldly part to it characters. We, you know, in, in the young adult, not everybody who reads young adult likes those, but the people who read young adult fantasy do tend to enjoy that. And that's why there's a proliferation of it. I mean, it's really just supply and demand. If it comes right down to it, it's economics. Okay, sure. <laughs> I think the the interesting thing, though, here, and also one, I do need to mention anytime anyone brings up Zeus, that it was just a regular swan, and Leda just really wanted the D. Um, okay. But, yeah, very few people realize that. Uh, I actually wrote a whole thing about that, about a painting the other day, uh, so it was fresh in my mind. But... <laughs> mm. But specifically, this is a, a world I don't recognize. And it's obviously influenced by, and there's a note at the end uh, that uh, Chen includes that I need to find. Yeah, as a Chinese-American who grew up in mostly British stories, I always wish more fantasy mixed the different lores and aesthetics living in my imagination. So I'm assuming that much of this is drawn and synthesized into a single idea, which is why the the world concept isn't necessarily overall recognizable, but we can definitely catch elements that we do know. Yeah, there's there's a familiarity here in amongst the strangeness, which I think is definitely a necessity whenever you're creating anything fantasy. You have to have something that the readers can hold on to you have to have essentially you can call them handholds um you have to have things that they can get used to that for for instance even we can take this the the, the diamond demon whatever hybrid demon and in, in sort of human character and or which i'm not sure um but you could say you know the the human part of him is the familiar part and that's what you know humans reading this are able to connect with and are able to recognize and feel more comfortable with. And then the other part is the, the fantasy part that is different from our world and that we have to strive to accept easier to accept when you have something familiar coming alongside it. I might take exception with that. Hmm. Interesting. Let's hear it. I think it is the human side that we cannot as easily identify with because we have such a deep idea of what a demon is and the elements of the demon, the sort of uh, the attractive monster portion uh, that is infused in the character. It's only when they become human that it, it sort of acts against our, our expectations of a character of that type and because that maybe it's just me and i'm you know chaotic neutral but uh i definitely find that this is a character that falls into the the sort of two wolves inside fighting over a uh, soul <laughs> but one of the wolves isn't human yeah yeah that could that could be i didn't necessarily get any sense that he was conflicted over who or what to be though 
Um, but I don't know. I could I could have been it could have been there and I could have missed it. So I'm I, not sure. I don't know if it's what he wants to be as much as what he wants to take. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I think, and I think that's why it's clear that he is heavy into her uh, the whole way through. And why can't I remember her name? It's uh, it's not it's not mentioned a lot, but it it does get mentioned in the the intro that it's Fanny. Oh yes, Fanny, um, which is by the way a very very. Uh, Chinese woman's name, Chinese American woman's name in particular, uh, you find it all over uh, San Francisco newspaper articles from the 1950s and 60s. Hmm. Neither here nor uh. there. <laughs> but uh, I think the whole way through, he wants her specifically because she has that too. While he yeah. was, yeah, he was born into the half demon thing. And in a way, she had a portion of her humanity taken from her. It could also be that they they see that that likeness in each other, that um, that similarity that they are both incredibly different from the rest of of humanity, um, which kind of leaves them standing almost completely by themselves. Um, so that could also be part of the reason that that he's he's so drawn to her is that he sees that you know she is set apart just like he is even if if she you know she sees that but i don't think she's able to she has a hard time seeing past herself i think is is a, is part of the problem with fanny throughout throughout that she's able to see well i'm different but everybody else is different in a good way but i'm different in a bad way <laughs> Kind of, mm -hmm. it seems to be her mindset. Which, hey, that's typical. Honestly, teenager thought at hell. It's it's this typical twenties and thirties thoughts. Mm, yeah, that's a good. That's a really good take. And I think, I think actually, there's a section that kind of brings into that that I just love. Um, meanwhile, we look like opposites. I broad-shouldered, calloused at every corner, and he only a sliver taller than me, but slender as a reed. He looks as if he could dance with the flicker of a flame, and he's beautiful, awfully beautiful. That gets, I mean, this, the writing there is is great, but again, we're getting that, this physical ideas of, of both opposition, but also they're both strange. Yes. And I think that that's the commonality uh, is, is between them. And I just love love the use of awfully beautiful, which does a lot of work if you think about it. <laughs> yes, it really does. It can work in a couple different ways. And I really, really like tricky words like that. I was just digging a little bit into Gina Chen's uh, some of her other work. And I see she has a book here that I'm really interested in that seems like it could could go along and, and really um I think that's a strength for her that that sort of trickiness with words. Uh it, she's got a a book that appears to have a character who, who uses uh, words to be tricky with divinations so that sounds fun oh yes i am fascinated by the word usements she structures um there's also a thread that goes through this that places this distinctly in the middle of 
postmodernism. And that is the idea of this is a story that is knowingly it is a story, but it is real life, but is approached like a story. If you look at all the times she mentioned story, uh, uh, we all leave when a story calls to us. Uh, the There are places for girls like me, the remnants of someone else's story. It gets mentioned all over the place. And so we know that they know that there is a story happening here. And that allows uh, Gina Chan to do something really fascinating. It is calling back to things to tie them together in a way that I never would have thought of. The the best example, of course, is uh, one of the very last lines when she's with uh, Ama and the words are on this page of paper, which I cannot... (laughs) um, Damn you, smooth paper. Here we go. Uh, There it is. Uh, Ama, forgive me, I say. I think I may be a fool. Ama laughs. Birds deep in the forest startle at the sound. She dusts the dust off her palms and kneads my cheeks with liver-spotted hands. All the best stories begin with one. Flip back to the very first, first part of the story. Ama says my parents were a pair of fools. Oh, yeah. I didn't catch that, but that is a glorious callback. That is that is a really satisfying callback now that you mention it. Damn. That's some strong jealousy she's got me thinking of here. <laughs> and what's even more interesting is that the all good stories begin with fools and she's saying her parents are fools. Her parents aren't in this story. Yeah, they're really not. And it's it's interesting that the story, as if you tie this all into one co- cohesive theme, this is a story of the impact of the unseen characters' choices upon the characters and how they live it out. And that makes this distinctly... Uh, I don't want to say pathetic because there is pathos here, but it's positive pathos. (laughs) It's really interesting that you say that the impact of the unseen characters choices on the life of, of the protagonist, if if I'm rephrasing that correctly, Um, I tried to be as verbatim as possible, but honestly, like because of that commonality that so much of YA fiction has that the parents are missing in some you know way shape or form they're missing they're dead they're absent whatever um i just i feel like that that in itself is just like it's kind of a, a byproduct in, in young adult fiction that a lot of it naturally the parents aren't there but their absence is almost a character you know mm. oh that makes sense so wait then would you say that this is a peter pan story and alice in wonderland story Oh, huh. I want to say neither and pick another story just to be cantankerous, but I can't think of another story that this fits with. So I'll go with Peter Pan. Sorry, the correct answer is less than zero, less than zero. Uh, uh, no, actually, the correct answer is face off the uh, 1990s John Travolta Nicholas Cage hit that should have won an Oscar. 
I actually believe it did win an Oscar for uh, uh, makeup. <laughs> okay, or- well, obviously Nick Cage himself should have won the Oscar. Yeah, should have. Uh, I love Nick. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is one that this is a really really good story from an author I knew nothing about because um, I, like a normal person, don't read YA. Um, <laughs> Wowza! Okay. <laughs> I'm just going to go over into my uh, abnormal person corner and sit there and think about who I am. (laughs) Oh, don't act so shocked. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a beautifully written story. I mean, there's just, I highlighted, uh, which took me a while to find the highlighter. So that's how how impressive it was. Um, Like probably a dozen passages in here that just, just got me like all the way around. Uh, you know, the world fits in, in a nap. My world fits in a knapsack. I hug all the girls goodbyes and run downstairs and out the back door and meet Ama in her garden. I mean, there's just everywhere you look in here, there's just beautiful turns of phrases. There's that lyricism. You're absolutely right in it that I think is just spectacular. Yes, it's very, very finely crafted. You can tell there's been a lot of attention to detail either in the writing or the revision. And I always really, really appreciate that in a writer i'll be picking up uh i'm gonna go look for violet made of thorns is the name of i think her latest book i don't know if she has any others out on this one that's popping up on her website so i'm gonna go look for that and see if i enjoy it and well yes got anything else in this one there christy uh no i think that's about all i have just that i really enjoyed it and uh it was a good uh choice from whichever brilliant person chose this story i think that was you Oh, you give me too much credit. <laughs> You're right. Um, <laughs> uh, hey, hey. Wow. Hey, Christy. <laughs> wow. Yes. I I do feel like I will have time to read a short story soon. What, what short story should I read? I think that soon you should read Spring Fingered Jack by Susan Casper. Uh, a story of the Ripper, dot, 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 sort dot, of. dot, dot, sort of, <laughs> that should be, we should make that a whole podcast, just dot, 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 sort of, and just, I don't know what it would be about, but I think, I think it could be interesting. That would just be me pitching wacky theories, like, like, wait for it, hold on, this is a big one. Oh boy. Oh boy. What if Rosebud, the sled was actually a metaphor? That mm, that's a little out there, bro. Um, that's sort of. <laughs> see what I did there? <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> very good, very good. <laughs> and you will see what I did there later on short story, short podcast. Boop, doop, 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 doop. <laughs>